Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Ready? Yep. Let's go. Let's laugh. We are imperfect after all. Okay. (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Imperfect Us podcast. I'm Leanne Camilleri. And I'm Lisa Downs. As co-hosts of the Imperfect Us podcast, we will share relatable stories that celebrate that we are perfectly imperfect humans leading perfectly imperfect lives. We will be sharing these stories through open and honest conversations with our extraordinary guests. And together we'll discover practical and evidence-based strategies that will enable us to navigate the constant challenges and changes of everyday life. We are thrilled to share these conversations as we draw on the science of wellbeing and positive psychology, and we uncover the barriers that might hold us back from being our authentic selves and turn them into opportunities so that we can show up more consistently doing what we really aspire to do and who we want to be. We'd like to acknowledge the Wadarung and Ghana people who are the traditional custodians of the beautiful lands on which this podcast is being recorded. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging and extend this respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples from other communities who are here with us today. So let's get started. Yay. And recording. Dr. Valerie Young is a co-founder of the Imposter Syndrome Institute and is considered the foremost expert on imposter syndrome. In addition to speaking at over 100 universities in the US, Canada, Japan, Europe and the UK, Valerie has presented at many diverse organisations such as Google, Pfizer, Facebook, NASA and many more. Her work has been cited around the world, including in Time magazine, Psychology Today and scientific journal articles. Valerie earned her doctoral degree from the University of Massachusetts Amherst, where she studied internal barriers to women's achievement. Although her research subjects consisted of a racially diverse group of professional women, much of her original findings have proved directly applicable to anyone with imposter feelings. Her award-winning book, The Secret Thoughts of Successful Women, Why Capable People Suffer from the Imposter Syndrome and How to Thrive in Spite of It, is now available in six languages. So let's dive in. Valerie, thank you so much for joining us today. We would just love to hear about what led you to the work that you're doing now. Well, it was personal experience, actually. Uh, I was uh, probably in my mid-20s. I was studying to get a doctoral degree at the University of Massachusetts in Amherst in the U.S., and somebody brought in a paper by Dr. Pauline Clance and Dr. Suzanne Imes. Those are the two psychologists who first coined the term the imposter phenomenon, as it is more accurately <laughs> known, and they started describing how They found in their work that all these bright, capable, competent women, because that's who they were working with at the time, felt like they were fooling people and that they were going to be found out. And I just was nodding my head like a bobblehead doll and (laughs) like, oh, my God, that's me. And when I looked around, all the other graduate students were nodding their head as well. So we decided to start a little imposter support group. We started meeting after class, talking about being intellectual frauds, how we're fooling our professors and as I tell the story, after a few weeks, I started to have this nagging sense that even though all the other students were saying they were an imposter, right, I knew I was only real <laughs> imposter. Um, so it was really that 
that one paper that caused me to completely change the focus of my research. I was, I was looking at something completely different and decided instead to explore more broadly women's self-limiting attitudes and behaviors. In other words, what are the things that might lead um, women in this case, because that's what the research was suggesting at the time, uh, to feel like imposters, fakes, and frauds. And that's what launched it. My degree is in education. I'm not a psychologist, which I think is a good thing in many ways, because I, I'm not coming at it from this one particular lens. So I took what I found, and I turned it into workshops and educational experiences for other people to kind of understand and get more insight into how this operated for them. And education is the right arena, isn't it, for imposter syndrome? You know, we've we've shared as as stories of our own uh, university um, journeys and, you know, waiting for the phone to ring to tell us, sorry, we've made a mistake, you can't continue, and things like that. Um, Absolutely. So many students um, seem to experience this. Is that Mm -hmm. what you found in your research? Oh, oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I've spoken to over 100 universities in the US, Canada, the UK, Europe, Japan, and it's not just students who experience imposter syndrome. Of course, the higher up you go, you know, if you become a master's student, degree student or doctoral student, the higher degree you're going for, the more likely you are to feel like a fraud. But it's also very prevalent amongst um, faculty and also staff. You know, staff are the kind of poor stepchildren on campus. Uh, and so, you know, for, for a host of reasons, Imposterism is just rampant at universities. Yeah. yeah. And in schools, I work in schools, Valerie, and um, I work with young children, but we work, our school particularly at the moment has um, a three-year-old kinder to year 12. And we mm-hmm. find that we see imposter syndrome all the way through. And like you say, with staff as well. Um, but we do see a lot of that with our students um, at school from a very young age. So it's a yes. really good tool to know. Um, and like you say, to do workshops and really expose this and, and share the reframing of it with yes. everybody, parents as well. Mm. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And and I think parents need to be aware of it. I think uh, it's not just people who experience it, but you know, if, if you lead, manage, mentor, coach, teach, train, or parent other people, Mm -hmm. you do need to understand imposter syndrome because it's not just an impact on individuals, but also, you know, on the organization as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm just actually wondering, would you be brave enough to, or courageous enough to share maybe a story of imposter um, that you've had recently or within with clients or just an imposter story for us to share? Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, there was so many, you know, historically, <laughs> where I felt like, you know, I'm definitely in over my head, you know, and they're going, they're going to find out. Absolutely, all through graduate school, you know, no doubt when I first started speaking in a corporate environment before I, I ultimately ended up, I did work in a corporate environment for seven years, and that demystified it. But before that, it was all very mysterious. And I definitely felt like I was, you know, going to be found out. Um it, you know, if Oprah called me tomorrow you know, and wanted to interview me, I would totally have an imposter moment. Um, but I think the difference is, even though I was you know, very well acquainted personally with imposter syndrome, the more I hear myself advise other people and kind of give solutions to what I think is the solution to imposter syndrome and therefore change how I think about things, the much easier it is for me to let things roll off of me. Um, Let me give you a quick example. I did a six minute TED talk 
It was part of Ted do, does these annual idea searches. So it could only be six minutes, which is actually more challenging than 18 minutes, right? And six minutes to have a beginning, a middle and an end in six minutes. It was going to be at TED headquarters in New York City with all the big people at TED. It was all for TED speakers in the audience. Uh, it was uh, Chris Anderson there, who's, who's the head of TED. He was in the audience. Very dark, big cameras. The people in the front row, I could literally touch them if I leaned over. They were so close. So it was a very intense experience um, and a lot of pressure. And at the end, I was disappointed, right? Because yeah. we all know what it's like when you walk out of a room or you do something and you know, like you crushed it, right? We all know what that feels like, like nailed it. And I didn't feel that way. So I was disappointed because I had spent hours writing it, practicing it timing it over and over and over hours and hours. And I didn't have that feeling. And so I was disappointed uh, for several days. So I, I shared that story when I was doing, doing a presentation once and, and somebody said, oh, so you felt like an imposter. <laughs> I said, no, I didn't feel like an imposter because I didn't think I'd fooled anyone. Mm. I didn't explain away any of my past accomplishments or think, oh, they're just applauding to be nice or just because they like me or whatever. I was disappointed. And I think that that's the big difference because now I can separate those two things, mm -hmm. being disappointed from feeling like an imposter. We, we're all going to feel disappointed. We're all going to be, you know, have things not work out, not get the job, not get the promotion, not, not get our art into the gallery, whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. But just because, you know, you, you don't win doesn't mean, you know, you're, you're an imposter. It means you didn't win. Some, they pick someone else. You have to try harder, do it again. It's, that's such a great point to make. I think, uh, you know, as Lisa and I are um, experimenting with all the things that we're learning, you know, around imposter syndrome, that that whole self-awareness piece is playing uh, very highly. And, 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 you know, you start to catch... Um, the thoughts you start to 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 catch um you know certain behaviors and, and things like that and i guess the power in that self-awareness is being able to um uh, determine you know is this just disappointment or is this an imposter thought and and then dealing with them very differently Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I was um, speaking in Orlando, Florida, a couple of years ago to this group of healthcare, you know, executives, there was probably 300 people in the audience. And I started coughing, you know, it was the kind of cough where I, I had to step to the side of the stage to take a drink and, you know, clear my throat. And I came back and I said to the audience, how many of you right now, if you were on stage and that happened to you would be just mortified. And a lot of people raised their hand and I said, yeah, I don't care. Now, I didn't, it's not that I didn't care. I went on to explain, of course I care, but the, but there's nothing I could do about it. Like we're all human. We cough. No one stormed out of the room and said, I'm not listening to this coughing speaker one more second. So I think it's about putting things into perspective more quickly, letting things roll off you more quickly. And, you know, in that moment being less of perfectionist about just things that just don't matter that much. You know, you forget to make some minor point in your talk, okay, big deal. The world went on. There's some little typo. Okay, go fix the typo and move on. It's just not that important. It's funny how we can get caught up on those things too, isn't it? You know, oh oh, I left that bit out. No one else knows except 
set you mm. that that you've left that bit out but but you can go for days um, beating yourself up about that can't you and that's that yeah. self-sabotaging isn't it you know we're all so perfectly imperfect we're humans after all we do make mistakes and that's okay um, and we can use that for learning forward I just wanted to say Valerie too that six minute TED talk I listened to and I really loved it so it's funny from my perspective that you were disappointed because I listened to that thinking how amazing that was so you know I wonder if if we had actually after you'd finished that talk if I'd said to you, oh, as a kind friend, hey, Valerie, I love this. This is what I got out of that, whether that might have changed your, you know, mindset as to how you felt with it. No, no, not in that moment. It wouldn't have no. only because it was an internal experience of mine. Yeah. I mean, I knew it was fine. Yeah. I knew it was perfectly fine. I didn't think, oh, I did a horrible job or anything. I knew I did it perfectly fine. Um, but I didn't have that feeling of like, Wow, I nailed you know, I didn't feel that <laughs> viscerally. I also, what you probably didn't notice is I lost my train of thought at one point. Mm-hmm. I couldn't remember like where to go next. And so I just threw in something about 70% of all people have had these feelings at one time or another. That was not in the original script. Uh, it's amazing how um, you know, those, those, you know, just those little imperfections to us can make something become so perfect in you know yeah. many things like um yeah. lisa said that 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 ted talk i loved it also yeah. um but let me just can i just make one more point to me it's about it's not about never feeling like an imposter again to me it's about normalizing imposter syndrome so that when you have you know a normal imposter moment you have what you need that kind of information insight and tools to talk yourself down more quickly mm. so my disappointment was even that just the disappointment part that was like maybe a 48 hour news cycle for me yeah and then I was able to put it into perspective Mm -hmm. so I want people to just like I said in the talk to kind of go from imposter thinking constantly to just having an imposter kind of moment yeah Yeah. Valerie imposter syndrome it is a confidence issue for many people can you help us to understand uh, what some of the beliefs and behaviors are that that lead capable people to 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 feel like imposters yeah and you know i'm really glad uh leanne you said behaviors because people often think of it only as a feeling Mm -hmm. Uh, and it's not just an interesting self-help topic that feelings lead to behaviors Mm -hmm. right and those Mm -hmm. behaviors can be costly so when you feel like an imposter you have to find a way to manage the anxiety of waiting to be found out, like waiting for the other shoe to drop and also avoid being found out. So you might overwork and over-prepare, right? Out of the sense that I have to work harder than everyone else to kind of cover up for my ineptness. Yeah. You, know, you might never finish the, the business plan, the book, the painting, the degree. You, know, you might pr- chronically procrastinate or I call it kind of flying to the radar. So you don't speak up in class or a meeting. You don't go for more challenging assignments, run for office, you know, audition for a part, whatever it might be. So there are behaviors associated with imposter syndrome. Um, you know, on the, the the thinking side and the belief side, it's, to me, it's fundamentally about how we look at competence and what that means. And we, we hold ourselves to these unrealistic expectations. So it might sound like this. Well, let me give you an example. I was speaking at Stanford and this student said, I feel like I should already know what I came here to learn. Mm-hmm. Right. Or if I was really intelligent, capable, competent, I wouldn't need any help or this wouldn't be this hard. You know, the fact that 
people have to struggle to understand something or master something and their mind proves they must be an imposter. Cause they think if they were really a great writer, they would just sit down and the words would flow Yeah. or they'd stand up and their first talk would be, you know, Academy award winning, um, <laughs> which I get, you know, I, my, my, my uncle, when I was about 10, he played the guitar, the mandolin, the violin, the banjo. And I wanted him to teach me the guitar that lasted about five minutes because I didn't want to learn how to play the guitar. I just wanted to play the guitar. (laughs) (laughs) So we think if we're not naturally brilliant at something, then, you know, we, we, we ignore the fact that effort and hard work, you know, come into play that the more you do anything, you know, the better you'll get. Uh, People who feel like imposters feel like they should know 150%. Before they feel remotely qualified to speak up, to start their business, grow their business, go for a promotion, you know, whatever it might be. Mm. So it tends to manifest in those kinds of ways. It's interesting you say that. Uh, oh, just you know, thinking about um, you know, how it could could possibly show up in 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 that context of. Um, you know, study and, you know, learning something, you know, I should already know this kind of um, thought process and and how, you know, you complete one lot of study and think, hmm, I still don't know enough. I need to go and do something, something more, you know, as that um, imposter syndrome um, or, or those thoughts are playing out, are they driving you to to go and do something more because we're always in search of, being the knowledgeable um, right, or right. having that knowledge is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, absolutely. It's like you're waiting to wake up one day and say, now I'm yes. an expert, right? So there's always one more book to read, one more class to take, one more certification to get, one more degree to get, you know, this endless pursuit of, of the end of knowledge of which there is none. Somebody said to me, aren't you worried that you're out, you might be giving a talk sometime and there might be somebody in the audience who knows more than you do. That is such imposter thinking. Mm -hmm. My response is, wouldn't that be great if there was somebody in the audience who knows more than I do, because I could learn something from them. Yes. Love that. Yeah, me too. I I think, you know, um, when, when we get present, you know, if we um, you know, in our field, we talk positive psychology and uh, mindfulness kind of, you know, fit fit quite nicely together. And that, mm-hmm. that whole mindful strategy of being aware of our thoughts and, and um, you know, our emotions and, mm-hmm. and you know, right. how we're meeting the moment. You know, I notice within myself when imposter thoughts are really present, I'm, I'm thinking, am I going to get it right? Is there going to be enough people there? Um, you know, is anyone going to listen to this podcast even, you know, you know, like all these things that, that sort of play in your mind, but, but, mm-hmm. but they're taking up all the energy for, yeah. for me to be giving my best here and now. It's an interesting perspective you know, when we think about where our thoughts go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, it is absolutely. And, and you might even add to that when you reframe that, Leanne, you say they should be so lucky as to listen to my podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> And that's a wonderful piece, isn't it? That reframing. Um, And we've noticed, um, and I know in um, some of your um, blogs and in your book as well, you talk about um, breaking the silence. And something Leanne and I have been doing is really being very honest with each other about when imposter syndrome comes up and also sharing it with each other and naming it to the other person. Mm -hmm. 
And yeah. I've found that that's also helped us to reframe that inner coach or that inner voice that's actually having that conversation with you and really challenging it together um, yeah. and then shifting that over into that more inner coach phase um, and bringing in a whole lot of well-being science in there too about being compassionate with yourself um, and really starting to understand, well, hang on a minute, what are those things that, you know, maybe I'm not right at this moment and I need to learn a little bit more um, and what do I need to do next? And so that's that learning piece in there. Mm, absolutely uh, yeah yeah I, 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 just, I love that sorry. I love that you're doing that yeah and it's been a lovely um conversation together and hence why we ended up doing the podcast because we realized you know like we said in our trailer we used to think it was just us but it's not it's everywhere um and how wonderful it is to be able to share different strategies with other people because you know we've already had comments just from our trailer just to say oh my god this is all about me <laughs> but it's actually all about us um, and it does happen. And, you know, there are some people who I like your um, work where it talks about trying to think like, what does a non-imposter syndrome person say? And I think that's a really valuable one is stepping into, well, what do they do? How do they do that? I'm just wondering, were you able to explain how thinking differently in our imposter moment could help us to um, thrive despite those thoughts and feelings? Yeah, absolutely. Um... And you said something, uh, Lisa, which is important around self-compassion, mm-hmm. because it, there was a study at the University of Vienna that found that people who tested high for imposter feelings had less self-compassion for themselves, mm-hmm. for how they spoke to themselves, which makes perfect sense. Yeah. So part of it is about being more compassionate, but, but I think it goes beyond, you know, kind of a, a pep talk mm-hmm. um, in, in many ways. Uh, remind me what the question was again. Sorry. No, why are you sorry? I'm the one who forgot what the question was. <laughs> because I jumped from one to the other, but that's typical me. So there you go. Um, so could you explain how thinking differently in our yes. imposter moment yes, can actually yes. help us to thrive despite those feelings and thoughts? Yes, thank you. Um, and, you know, I like right now, I forgot what the question was. So for somebody, there was a time when I would have been mortified. but now I use these as learning opportunities because it's like yeah I forgot what the question was can you say the question again you know it's it's like we make such a big deal out of these things that just aren't that big of a deal so in terms you know in terms of you know the 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 different thoughts you know I I encourage people when they have that imposter thought to be hit the pause button right become consciously aware of what is the conversation first Mm -hmm. of all that I'm having in my head and then make a deliberate attempt to reframe it the way somebody who is humble but have never felt like an imposter would mm-hmm. you know uh, I, I call them humble realists I like that. somebody who ha- they, they they are humble you know because we often kind of have this idea and, and I read a lot of stuff online that says imposter syndrome is a good thing because it keeps you humble and I think it's a false choice that you can be an arrogant jerk or you can keep your imposter syndrome. And I think that you know, the, the third lane is to become a humble realist yeah. who, who has a realistic understanding of your gifts and your skills, but also of your limitations, the things you're not particularly good at. And guess what? May never be good at, which is OK. Yeah. Um, you know, who has a healthy response to failure, mistakes and constructive criticism. Mm-hmm. You know, when, when you feel like an imposter, even really constructive criticism, it, it wounds us to our core, right? We let it mean more about who we are as a person. So if somebody says, ah, that podcast, that wasn't very good. And, you know, we hear I'm not very good, right? Or that report was inadequate. We hear I'm inadequate. Mm-hmm. Um, but people who 
are humble realists, they see constructive feedback as a gift. They want information that's going to help them to improve and get better. Now, let me be clear. Not all feedback is useful, especially if you're looking at social media and all that you know, craziness. But if there's somebody who, who you respect is giving you information about how you can get better, or indeed people should be seeking out coaches who can help them you know, excel in their area. I, I often use the example of a, if you took tennis lessons, do you want a coach who says, well, I didn't want to say anything to Lisa, but she's not holding her racket right because I didn't want her to feel badly. Or do you want somebody who's going to say, okay, Lisa, let me show you how to change your grip so you get a better swing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I like that you've um, raised that point about choosing the um, the feedback that you get too, because you can have someone say something quite harsh at you, but in yes. actual fact, you might think, well, hang on, would Leanne, for example, say the same thing to me? And what's the learning in that? Mm. So it's sometimes, you know, something that's very hard, harsh, like I can't think of an example of, oh, you're pathetic at um, speaking. Well, that's not enough feedback to help. Right, that's not helpful. No, where Leanne might say to me, oh, do you know what? It wouldn't. I, I think it'd probably be worthwhile to do some coaching in presenting or something that's actually the feedback that is still going to help me to learn. Does that make mm. sense? Oh, absolutely. Um, you yeah. know, somebody in the US, she wrote a, a, an editorial for a newspaper and she was a coach who interestingly had just come back from delivering a talk on imposter syndrome. Mm. And when she got home, someone had sent her an email who was there and said, you know, enjoyed your talk. I thought you'd want to know. You said, um, a hundred <laughs> times. And perhaps you should go to Toastmasters. They have some great, it's a I don't know if you're familiar with Toastmasters, yes. you can go and become a better speaker. Right? And so she wrote very honestly about how, she, even though she tells her clients uh, constructive feedback is a gift when she got it, she was hurt. She was upset. She was angry. Her daughter was furious. She thought that was so rude. And then the coach stepped back, got perspective. And she said, then she had a different emotion. Now I thought she was going to say gratitude, but it wasn't. The emotion she had was like pity. She felt sorry for this young woman because she didn't know the best feedback should be solicited and delivered kindly. Well, I don't know if she didn't deliver it kindly or not, but mm -hmm. I looked at it like, are you kidding me? You want to be a speaker? This person took the time out of their day to not only tell you that you said, um, she quantified it a hundred times. She just gave you incredibly valuable information that you would not known had she not taken the time to tell you, you should send her roses. <laughs> but that's how I looked at it, especially if you're going to be in business for yourself, you need to get feedback from your audience, your customers, your clients to, to improve. I think that's where that mindset of having a growth mindset is really important because yeah. that critical feedback could be, like you say, devastating and heart, really heart wrenching, mm. or you could sit with that discomfort for a while and then take the learnings out of that. So well, what did go well? What are the learnings that I need to have? And how am I going to adapt? Yeah, thank you so much for that, Valerie. Mm. Sure. Feedback is not always easy to, to receive, but, you know, when we reframe how we receive it, mm. um, we can move forward in a very different way. Um, Valerie, I'm just loving what we're talking about here. It's, it's just, you know, I, I feel in so many ways where you're just talking about me and, and you know. <laughs> oh, us. And, <laughs> and, you know, what you said at the beginning around, um, you know, everyone else 
say they have it, but you know, really, I have it. Mm. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm sitting here thinking. Mm. When you said that, I thought, yes, that that's that's me, and I'm sure that a lot of other people are thinking that as well. Um, do you have any tools or strategies that that you could share with our listeners today that that have that have helped you or your clients? Um, that, that you work with to, to reframe those imposter thoughts or the inner critic? Yeah. Um, I, I don't do a lot of coaching, so, but I can tell you, I, I agreed to coach this guy who was an executive. So I was curious about what a senior man, how it kind of showed up for him. Um, and, and I've worked with executives, but not in a coaching capacity. And what was interesting about him was that he, he knew he was a star in the company. It was uh, two brothers started it. He came in very early. So he was really considered kind of third, you know, partner, even though he wasn't a full partner. Um, definitely that they'd grown to be a multi-million dollar company. And he knew he was, he was the star, but he also, on the other hand, felt like an imposter, which is typical. Like we know we're brilliant on one hand, but we also feel like we're, you know, nothing on the other hand. So Partly for him, it's because the company was bringing in all these young people with their MBAs and their fancy degrees and their standard operating procedures. And his head was kind of spinning because he's a big picture guy. So at one point I looked at him and I said, so, so Mike, it sounds like you're expecting yourself. And I apologize. I'm going to use a baseball analogy. I don't know any good cricket analogies. So, so and <laughs> then he said, he said to, I said, so Mike, it sounds like you're expecting yourself to be the star pitcher the star catcher, the star batter, the star base runner, the star outfielder. And he looked at me and he said, oh my God. He said, I'm a sports guy. I just got it. Fundamentally for me, it comes back to reframing. Mm. It comes back to normalizing imposter syndrome. You know, I want people to do less psychologizing and more contextualizing mm. to understand, for example, that you might be in a, an industry or organizational culture that itself fuels self-doubt. Mm. I did a um, podcast for the British Medical Journal. There was a medical student and like a second year physician, early career physician. And they were kind of lamenting the lack of positive feedback. I mean, you work so hard in medical school and there's some tests they take. The the highest you can get, the highest grade you can get is no concern. That's the best you can do. We have no concerns about you. Wow. And and so on the one hand, yeah, that wouldn't it be great to get more positive feedback uh, because that's a very shaming culture. If you watch television shows involving medical, you know, residents that if they don't know something, they're kind of shamed for not knowing it, which mm. which I kind of get. It's life and death, right? Mm. Um, but I also pointed out to them whether you knew it or not going in, that's the culture you signed up for. It's the same thing with academia. People are applying for grants and sending, submitting papers to publications. Nobody's writing in the margins. Nice paragraph, Leanne. Good thought, Lisa. <laughs> you know, nobody's saying that. They're only telling you what you need to what fix. Exactly. And, if, yeah. and if you don't know that going in, it, it could really trip you up. But if you understand, here's the larger culture I'm, exi- I'm existing. Or mm. let's say you're the only woman in the organization or the only person of color or the person with a disability. You know, you are in a, a world where there are social stereotypes about competence and intelligence. Mm. So if there's not a lot of folks who look like you or maybe sound like you, um, you know, it, it can impact your performance. It can also make you feel more vulnerable. It can give you that, make you have that kind of pressure now to represent your entire group. Mm. Um, so people in certain fields are more susceptible, creative fields, STEM fields, highly competitive areas like uh, law. 
So there's situational factors, organizational factors, social factors that all contribute to imposter syndrome. And if you think it's only about you, you're going to personalize everything. So I want people to contextualize more, personalize less. Yeah. Oh, such great advice. And, and mm-hmm. it is something that I've just, as you were talking through, I, I just found myself wondering, Valerie, when we talk about imposter syndrome, a lot of the conversation is aimed around uh, women experiencing mm-hmm. imposter syndrome. Yeah. But uh, have you found in your research, um, you know, th- that it affects men too? And you know, is there a difference? Yeah, it absolutely affects men. I think part of, part of why you see it a lot let me be clear. It's very well documented that there is a confidence gap between men generally and women generally. Of course, there's always exceptions. Mm-hmm. And that confidence gap is wider in the 20s and 30s. And you know it evens out a little more later on. So if the studies are conducted with college students, university students, you, know, you are going to see, as a rule, you're going to see women much more experiencing imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, and I think Again, as a rule, many men have learned how to wing it and not feel like they're an imposter. They see it as a skill set to be able to mm-hmm. jump in and say, well, I've never done this before, but I can figure it out once I get there, which, which is good. Mm-hmm. So in that way, you know, I think men, perhaps some men don't experience it as much, but I, I've led workshops for the you know, UK College of Policing, um, you know, Boeing. I walked into a room, it was 80% men. And and, and these men talking about the sheer terror that they feel when they're given an assignment that feels over their head. So I absolutely think there is the myth of the ever-confident male. Do you think there's a bit of a fake it till you make it kind of perspective with males so they can sort of perhaps step into that discomfort a bit better than women? Yeah, I think that, you know, again, we're generalizing, but I think are more comfortable and perhaps more have more awareness that they don't need to know everything going in, but that mm-hmm. they're, they can figure it out or they're yeah. smart enough to figure it out, you know, or an understanding that if you are the CEO of a manufacturing company and, and you get hired as the CEO of a service company, you don't need to know everything about that, that service area. You're being hired because you're a, a leader. Yeah. And they know you can figure the other, you can figure the business part out. But mm. so I think that they kind of maybe compartmentalize those things, you know, a little bit more as well. Mm. Valerie, so I don't think um, it's faking it in that negative sense. Um, I think it's recognizing that like when, when you look at a, a job posting, if there's 10 requirements, the research shows women will apply if they have all 10. Yes. Men yes. will apply if they have like six. Yeah. Because again, because they figure they have the capacity to figure it out. Yeah. Mm. Valerie, one of the um, quotes that I love of yours, if it's okay if I could read this, I just and Leanne, this will just speak volumes to you and I. <laughs> it says, don't wait until you feel confident to start putting yourself out there. Courage comes from taking risks. Change your behaviour first and allow your confidence to build. That really stood with me in that it just has helped me to go, because oh, I know for me when I yeah. get my imposter syndrome, I very much go, okay, I can't do that yet. I'm just going to have to sit and think about it for a little bit longer, mull it over. But that really helped me to go, hmm, I am human and confidence will come, but I just have to start. Yeah, and there's things that are unknowable until you do it. 
Mm. You know, I, I launched this program. I was teaching all these people around the world how to be kind of outside the job box career coaches, how to work with people who want to make a living without a job. And we were going to put together some big initiative that involved you know, interacting with all these people in this forum. And, and, and my students would say, well, what happens? What do we do if this happens? Or what if this happens? And I would say, I don't, I have no idea. Because <laughs> you know, I've never done it before, but no. we'll figure it out. You know, I mean, you try to anticipate as much as you can and do, you know, and, and, and build in things so that things don't happen. But there's some things you just don't know. You've got to do it anyway. You know, the entrepreneurs I know, these multi-million dollar, mostly men, their mantra is half ass is better than no ass. <laughs> right? And they don't mean do a bad job. It's like you have to get version one out the door and you can course correct as you go along. I'm going to put that up on my wall. There you go. <laughs> Thank you for that one. I love it. Oh. Besides your own work, do you have a book or a TED talk or an app or just a words of wisdom that might help um, or might be useful for our listeners today? I guess in terms of the words of you know wisdom, if you will, it is to recognize that this is not all about you. Mm. Uh, you know, when you hold back, when you don't throw your hat into the ring, whatever that is, you don't step up, whatever that means to you, that there's consequences, not just for you, but for, for everyone. You know, I think that, that everybody loses when bright people play small. Yeah. Oh, I, I so relate to that. I think, uh, you know, recognizing in ourselves, if, if we, you know, that, that, that feeling of holding back, if, uh, the people that I look up to and aspire to be like are holding back. What am I missing out on from a learning perspective? The opportunities. Yeah. So many. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I almost didn't finish my dissertation. You know, I, I had 600 pages of, of transcribed interviews and now I had to code them and come up with a model and make sense of it all. And, and I just procrastinated as students like to do. Um, and my friend Rita wrote me a letter. This is before email. And she said, Valerie, you have to finish because you're learning things that could help a lot of people. And if you don't, no one will know. Mm. And I remember that was like this huge wake up call for me. I, I thought, oh my God, like people are waiting for me. Like how selfish am I? <laughs> and women like to serve others. So that was very motivating to me as a way to get out of my own way to go. Yeah, I've never done a podcast, but mm. I could interview people that could, they might say something that would have a profound impact on, on somebody listening. And who am I? You know, we often say, who do you think you are, right? That little voice that says, who do you think you are? When you think about kind of stepping up, I think the voice should say, who do you think you are to not go for it? All these gold nuggets that, that, that you're providing us, um, Valerie, just, just those um, aha moments of, of, yeah, you know, that just it just makes so much sense. Um, Valerie, as we do come towards the end of, of, um, of this wonderful conversation with you, where is the best place for people to, to hear more about the wonderful work that you're doing? I think just at impostorsyndrome.com. We're going to be relaunching the website soon. So there will be lots of resources and things on there. And we recently launched something called Imposter Syndrome Institute, mm -hmm. where we're kind of training and licensing people around the world so they could deliver, you know, my same rethinking imposter syndrome talk. Because our goal is to really kind of stamp out imposter syndrome around the world. And I'm not going to do this work forever. So I want to have a way to, you know, pass that along so other people can lead workshops and get up and give talks. That's yeah, wonderful. That is beautiful. 
And we'll be sure, Leanne, to pop in um, some of your TED Talks and a few others that we have, we have noticed ourselves for others to have a look at because they are really fantastic. Even the one that you think is you were disappointed in, it was amazing. <laughs> yes, we'll most certainly be sure to add the links uh, in the show notes for that. Yeah. Thank you. And we have one little fun thing um, this season for all of our guests. We would love to invite you to share a self-care strategy that you um, have in your toolkit uh, with our, our listeners today. Is there something that's one of your favourite self-care yeah. strategies? I don't know if this, you know, fits under self-care, but an exercise to me, a daily exercise is, is gratitude. Mm. And to, to really just take those few moments to be grateful for the fact that not only do I have a bed to sleep in, access to clean water, you know, safety, able to earn a good living and so on, have family and friends, but I literally go through this list. I go through my whole body. I have two legs, two feet, 10 toes. I have two arms. I, I can see, I go through every organ, you know, I thank that whatever the higher power is, you know, for, for my lungs, for my respiratory system, for my, you know, and then I'm like, oh my God, did I forget a system? Wait, oh yeah, my muscular <laughs> skeletal system. Like, I don't want to leave anything out. I don't want anything to happen. But I just feel really grateful that I've been free of, you know, any serious disease up until this point in my mm. life and grateful for everything up until this, this point. Mm. I think and, that, that I, to me, that just sh has to, just shapes, not that I don't get down and, you know, have my moments, but I really try to, to put things in perspective as much as I can. Gratitude is just such a wonderful Absolutely. tool in the wellbeing toolkit. Um, mm. There are so many uh, benefits that, 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 that come from the practice of gratitude. Mm -hmm. so, so thank you so much for, for sharing that. It's wonderful. Oh, I'm <sighs> stay here and talk to you today. <laughs> well, you know, I want to say something to you. I've done a lot of podcasts and you two are exceptional. Oh, and I've done a lot of podcasts and this just feels like the most seamless, fun, delightful. I mean, your people, if when I come to Australia, I don't drink wine because I had a bad experience in seventh grade <laughs> with a quart and a half of really cheap wine. Um, <laughs> but I'd love to come and have a beer sometimes. So oh, we would love that. We would have a pint. It. Yes, you're most welcome. You let us know when you're in town and we'll show you around the town for sure, you're Valerie. Most welcome. Fabulous. Oh. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Can't thank you enough. And and thank you for your very nice comments. That that, that mm -hmm. you know that just means so much. So thank you so much. Wow. I know. <laughs> Amazing. She's um Valerie's research really still stands today yeah. which I find interesting but I'm really enjoying listening to Valerie thinking about all the science that we've been learning Leanne mm. um, and one of the things that stood out for me was you know when she was talking about that research about how imposter syndrome people who have imposter syndrome really don't have any self-compassion mm. and that sort of for me helps to identify that for us moving forward and when you are more aware of that those imposter thoughts or moments the importance of self-compassion as a tool for you to actually be able to move forward um so that yeah that was one of the highlights what about you yeah I, I totally agree with that you know that that whole self-compassion piece you know um you know 
I guess, standing up to that inner critic and, and you know, having ways to manage it. I'm going to say with the self-compassion, the three areas really do help us. Yes. So obviously that kindness, having the, um, a kind approach to yourself to mm. go, okay, well, hang on a moment. You might be feeling like that, but how can we move forward? The mindfulness practice about being aware. Yes. And then the third one is about, you know what, we, this, we all go through this. This is what yes. humans are about. It's so, so important. Yeah, just reminds us that we're not alone in, mm. in those imposter thoughts and feelings. One of the things that, that really um, stood out to me was perspective. So our mindset around how we approach things. You know, I keep I I, I often go back to Carol Dweck and you know, mm-hmm. you know, the, the the mindset of you know how we approach things. Is it a fixed mindset or a growth mindset? And even experiencing those imposter thoughts, we can still lean into that growth mindset and 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 see each challenge as as a way to learn and grow. She, she, she talked about the feedback and, you know, feedback can be so hard sometimes. Sometimes hearing feedback is just, oh, it is hard. But but I think if we get stuck in that, if you like, the fixed mindset of, of hearing that feedback, we can go down the rabbit hole of just, you know, I'm no good, you know, all this negative self-talk, all these, you know, just beating yourself up all the time. Whereas, you know, if you can try and view that feedback uh, with a lens of, okay, where's the lesson here? Is this, mm-hmm. um, you know, what, what can I do differently? Um, you know, what can I draw on? What, what else do I need to know? Like that was another thing that she sort of pointed out that, that you, you know, sometimes it's that you don't know everything yet. No, and that's the psychological fuel that we need for learning. Mm. So when we do that and have that, that permission to go, okay, I am human and I don't know it all yet, so what are the things I need to do? And then plan your, your learning pathway forward, mm. which is really exciting. The other thing is I love when she was talking about it's not all about us. It's yeah. not always about us. And I know <laughs> that sometimes we can go right down into that pitfall of, yeah, I just am hopeless, I can't do this, or it's just me. Yeah. No, it's not. And she talked about, you know, I liken it to Brene Brown's work about getting into the arena, get Mm. in there and actually explore those behaviours and the feelings and then really question them. You know, are they true? Are they not true? And what's a different way? And how can I reframe it to move forward? And that's definitely something I'm learning as we're on this journey together, you know, our imperfect us experiment, if you like. I know. (laughs) It's, it's, um, there is so much that you start to become aware of and and how you um, uh, approach things, that that whole self-awareness, the perspective that you you take on situations and the actions that that you take um, are all impacted when when you look at things through a different lens. Mm -hmm. Uh, it's It's proving to be, I don't know about you, Lisa, but for me, it's proving to be a wonderful learning experience. Absolutely, and it increases your confidence. And I keep coming back to that confident humility where we do have the capabilities there. We just need to become more aware of it. Mm. But we also have that humility part for us in that you know, to be just acknowledge what is it that we don't have yet and what do we need to do to move forward. Mm. You know, none of us are experts. Mm. We might be a little bit of an expert in something, we can never ever be the top expert because you're just continually learning and that's what being human is all about is keeping on adapting learning growing
thank you for listening to the Imperfect Us podcast. As always, we are extremely grateful for our executive producer, Brenton Ainsworth, for helping us to put this episode together and the incredible music throughout the show. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with someone you care about. And we would be grateful if you could rate this podcast on iTunes. If you know someone who has a great story to share about how to live with imposter thoughts, then please get in touch with us. To find out more about Leanne and Lisa, we welcome you to connect with us on LinkedIn and our socials. Bye for now. Bye for now.